towards the end of the parsha, when Yosef's messenger chases after Yosef's brothers, accusing them that they stole Yosef's goblet, the brothers respond, and this is where the Rebbe starts the Sikha by saying that on the Pasuk, by Yoimruay love, they say to him, what they're basically saying is that there's no way in the world we would have done such a thing. What does the word mean? So Rashi has two explanations on what these words mean. The first explanation is that this would be considered profane, mundane, unholy for us. Lushan Gnai, an expression, expression of disgrace. And then Rashi says the Targum translates it as that a pity on your servants, meaning to say, may Hashem have pity on us, protect us from doing such a thing. And then Rashi goes on and says that we have a similar expression many times in the Gemara, like the idea of chas v'sholim. And that's what the word chalilo is coming from. Says the Rebbe, earlier on in Parshas Vayera, when Avram is arguing to Hashem in the story of Sdoim Haftis Petzadik in Russia, would you destroy a tzadik with a Russia? We also find over there a similar expression, Chalila Lecho Avram says, Chalila to you from doing such a thing. Rashi explains the words Chalila Lecho the same way, Chulin Hulacha, that this would be profane for you. People are going to say you killed tzadikim with Rishoyim. Says the Rebbe, we need to understand, number one, why is it that in Parshas Vayera, where Chalila appears for the first time, Rashi does not, Rashi does suffice with saying the words Chulinulacha. He doesn't have to explain what Chulinulacha means, that it's profane for you. And in our parsha, that's not enough for Rashi. Rashi adds, Loshan Gnai, this is an expression of disgrace. If Chulin needs an explanation, Rashi should have explained it the first time around. Furthermore, says the Rebbe, not only does Rashi add in our case Loshan Gnai, but now he adds another whole peerage from the Targum, that it's an expression of Chas V'Sholem, why is it that in Parshas Vayera, the Pirush of Chulinulacha, that this is profane for Hashem, would have been enough? And in our case, that's not enough, and Rashi needs this other Pirush of being similar to Chas V'Sholem as well. Says the Rebbe, the explanation is, in Parshas Vayera, the word Chalila is being used towards Hashem. Now by Hashem, obviously, the whole concept of Chulin, of anything mundane, anything weekday, unholy, is totally not Shaykh. And therefore, it would be enough to say, that for Hashem to do such a thing, that's what Avram is saying in a way of a question. How could you possibly do such a thing? That would be considered chulin for you. Well, if it's chulin, if it's unholy, since Hashem, there's nothing shayach by Hashem that He's doing something, anything that's unholy, that itself would have been clear enough. That would be, that would, would have itself been understood why it's completely added the question for Hashem to behave in such a way. However, in our parsha, where we're speaking about human beings, we're speaking about the Shvatim, who are involved in chulin, who are involved in regular everyday types of activities, weekday type of activities. So for, for, for people like that, just to say that to do a specific act would be considered chulin, that's not enough of a reason to explain why doing this thing, which is taking the silver goblet, why that's so out of the question. Because what's so terrible when regular people are involved in chulin? And this is why Rashi has to add those words, that chulin hulanu is an expression of gnai, it's an ex- expression that is something shameful or disgraceful. That chulin is not limited over here just in the sense of being mundane, but rather it's an expression that symbolizes something very disgraceful and therefore it's added a question. Why does Rashi have to add now another pirush? Because this first pirush is still not smooth, it's still not so understood. 
Because when is it shaykh to say that chulin, that something mundane would be disgraceful? When we're speaking about a person of such a high caliber, of such a high level, that completely has nothing to do with weekday mundane types of activities. And therefore, when such a person says that something is chulin, that something is mundane, something is weekday, something is regular, well, that would be an expression of disgrace. Because for this person, the fact that it's chulin, the fact that it's regular, simple, is something completely disgraceful. In fact, says it on the contrary. When he is saying that this is chulin, in a certain sense he's negating the idea even more than if he would have used an expression of direct disgrace. Because what it's showing is when he uses about something that it's chulin, what it's showing is that something that's not according to his level is so far removed, is so much out of the question for him, that by using the term chulin about it, it's no less, it's no worse, it's, it's not, it's not better in any way than if it would have been gnai, something completely, completely disgraceful, like gneva, like theft. It, again, for someone that's on a very, very high level, completely removed from the mundane, so when he refers to something as mundane, we understand that this is mamish-like, the most disgraceful thing. Because he's so removed from it. But in our case, so remember the shvatim, didn't establish themselves. No, they're not established as something on someone on such a high level of someone of such a high caliber. They're trying to be mavatl. They're trying to negate the argument that they're shaykh to steal. Says the Rebbe. So therefore, it's difficult to say that what they're trying that that they're trying to prove that they're not shaykh to stealing by saying the words that this is considered mundane for for us. Because again, we don't even know that they're not shaykh to chulin. To regular things. The Rebbe uses an expression from the Gemara, Tali Tanya, Bedeloi Tanya. There are some things that say out explicitly about them. So if something says explicitly, why don't we focus on the thing that does say explicit, rather than focusing on the thing that there is nothing even directly written about it. Or in our case, what that would mean is, in other words, if Gneva is completely out of the question, and Gneva we know is a thing that definitely is out of the question, or should be out of the question for everyone, Definitely something disgraceful. So just say directly, we're not shaykh to stealing. Why are we hinting at sort of an about a thing that's not even clear? Chulin. That Gneva is so far removed from us because even Chulin would be something out of the question for us. It's very hard to understand that that's what they're trying to say. Especially, says the Rebbe, that who are they trying to convince? They're trying to convince a Goy, Yosef's messenger. And it's a Goy from Eretz Mitzrayim, from Ervas Haaretz, from the lowliest places. For such a person, the fact that it's chulin, the fact that you're saying something is chulin, well, that wouldn't be considered a gnai. And therefore, it's difficult to say that this is what they're trying to say. This is chulin for us, that's why it's out of the question. Why is that out of the question if it's chulin? And since that's the case, so then at least it would have been more appropriate to express the idea that gneva is out of the question for them, not by saying that it's chulin, but with a clearer expression that it's absolutely disgraceful to steal. And this is why Rashi needs and brings another Pirush, the Pirush of the Targum of Chalilu Lavadecha, meaning Chas Lavadecha, Chas Me'akadosh Baruch In other words, the saying, May Hashem have mercy in us, have pity in us, protect us from being shaykh to such things. What they're saying is a Chas V'Shalom, that there should be an Indian of Gneva. Or furthermore, the Rebbe says, they're saying, Chas Me'akadosh Baruch from doing such a thing, the Rebbe says, Kurosa mean that the Abishter has Rahmanus on us and wouldn't allow us to even be to do such a kind of thing. So what's the problem with this Pirush? 
Says the Rebbe, because after all in Tanakh, we don't find the word Chalilo having this meaning of chas, of having pity. This is why Rashi actually has to say that, at least in the Gemara we find this a lot. And this is also why Rashi brings this only as a second pirush, whereas the main pirush still remains, that Chalilo is from the expression of Chulin. Now, in the next part of the Sikha, the Rebbe is going to the Hayro, but the Hayro is going to be focusing exclusively on the first Pirush. In other words, on this idea that the Shvatim are saying that it's Chulin, and because of that, it's out of the question for us. Says the Rebbe, the Hayro from the Pirush Rashi in Avodah Hashem. The Alter Rebbe explains in Torah that the levels of the Avodah, the different levels of the Avodah of the Avodah, this is something that every single Yid needs to emulate, every single Yid needs to have those Avodahs that were Shaykh to the Avodah. But other levels, like the levels of the individual Shvatim, you could definitely say that certain people don't have these specific unique levels that certain Shvatim had. And the Rebbe explains, not every single Yid needs to have all the individual unique things that every Shevet excelled in in a particular way, and with which he was unique from other Shvatim. However, those things that are shared by all of the Shvatim, the general things that are by all of the Shvatim, because they are children of the Avos. So those things that are common for all the Shvatim definitely do have to be by all the Yidin. So the Rebbe applies it in our case. Since this argument that the Shvatim are saying, And this is not coming from one of the Shvatim. This is really coming from them as a group, as a whole. It's understood that this concept, that that something that's mundane for us would be disgraceful, is Shaykh to every single Yid. Meaning to say, a Yid needs to know that his whole essence is all about Kedusha. And that the person with things of Chulin, with mundane things, with Gashmias, is two different worlds to the extent that him having anything to do with Gashmias as Chulin, in other words, if he only views it as Chulin, as something mundane, is completely disgraceful. It completely should be out of the question. And this feeling, says the Rebbe, needs to be not only somewhere deep down, but also in a revealed way, to the extent that even a Goy should be able to recognize that a Yid is not Shaykh to Chulin. Like we said before, again, according to the first Peter Shavrashi, that by the Shvatim, it's so obvious that this argument of Chalilo, that Chulinulana, that this would be mundane for us, profane for us, that itself should be a proof for a Goy of Mitzrayim that they're totally not Shaykh to it. That means even a Goy is recognizing and knowing that Chulin is completely not Shaykh for these people, just like for other people, Gneva would be disgraceful and out of the question. Now, even though, of course, the Torah tells you that you need to work six days and you need to do get involved in the world and do all the work, and a year during the weekday does have to be involved with chulin, with weekday and mundane things. However, it does not mean that he needs to lower himself down to the chulin. On the contrary, the whole point is that Yid has to be mile, he has to elevate the chulin to become, as the expression, chulin shana, so altaras hakoidish, the chulin themselves are being done in a holy way. And how is that done practically? Through kol ma'asachi yu l'shem shemayim, when we do everything for the sake of Hashem, and even more than that, b'chol that in everything we are doing, it's a method of getting to know Hashem, and furthermore, mamish making these things holy, and not only, first of all, kachim kalim, the lower level of kedusha, but even more than that, kachim kachim, elevating every part of the world to the highest form of holiness. 
Says the Rebbe, how is it possible, where does this come from, that a Yid could come to such a level, that even when he's involved, of course, with the Rishus HaToyra, with mundane things, and yet he remains completely removed, he remains completely aloof, to the extent that just to address it like Chulin would be complete gnai, would be completely disgraceful. Says the Rebbe, this comes from the fact that that's the way it's by Hashem Kavayachol. That is, that even the energy of Hashem, the oil of Hashem, the light of Hashem, that does come down and is be'erich somewhat connected to the worlds, and yet it's not impacted, it's not caught up within the world, chas v'shalom, and that oil is never shayich to the chulid, to the mundane, to the simple. Before continuing this point, the Rebbe goes back for a moment to the psukim about Avraham Avinu. The Rebbe says, by Avraham Avinu there's a double expression. He says, As we said before, this would be profane for you from doing such a thing. This would be, again, profane for the judge of the whole world to be to kill the tzaddik and the rasha, etc. It's a double expression, says the Rebbe. What's this double expression? Seemingly, we're focusing now on why the second expression is needed. That How could it be that the shoifet, the judge of the whole world, would act in such a way? Seemingly, says the Rebbe, even if we would be shaykh to say that Hashem is chas v'shalom, not on that level of justice, of shoifet kala oretz, of the judge of the whole world. In other words, even without that phrase, it seemingly should also be completely added a question from killing a tzaddik along with a rasha. What is being added with these words? So the Rebbe says what Avram Avinu is emphasizing is, that even on the level hashoifet kolooritz, meaning on the level of godliness that does relate to the world, where the things that are happening on this world matter and take up space, so to speak. They are being judged, hashoifet, they're being judged for, for what they're doing, and that's where reward and punishment comes from. Says Avram Avinu that even for this level, it's chalilo, meaning it would be even for this level, it would be considered that we understand that chulin, that the concept of something mundane wouldn't be shaykhs at all. And therefore, there's no way that Hashem would be acting in this way, even mitzad that level. So going back again, mitzad Hashem and even the level that's shaykh to the oilamois, there's no, there's, there's no connection to chulin. And this now translates back to the yid. This is also why a yid, that's a chaylik alikami ma'amamish, it's truly a portion of Hashem. So even when he's involved with matters of chulin, he's never caught up in it. It never impacts him. In his panimius, he always remains removed from it to the extent that even the fact that they are weak, they mundane, is something completely, completely disgraceful to him. And this itself, once he has that attitude, that's what actually gives him the koyach to transform the chulin. That they themselves should become chulin shenas, altaras, should become holy. Because the panimius, the yiz, always remaining removed and higher than chulin. That's why he can impact it and actually change it. Says the Rebbe, this Torah also has a connection with the general idea of our parsha, in which it's speaking about the very, very last things and causes that actually lead directly to the descent of Yaakov and his children of Mitzrayim, and Golis Mitzrayim, which is the beginning of all the Goliaths, all the exiles. Says the Rebbe, it's known, the Pisgum of Rabbi Seinu Nisienu of our Rabbi, that only our bodies were given into Golis and to the subjugation of the Various different malchias of different kingdoms. But our neshamois 
were never chased into Golos and never given to the subjugation of the Malchus. And this is why Golos could really never have any sort of power over a Yid. Because the only time that Golos could have some sort of control over a Yid is only if his goof and his gashmi, his dicker things, take up some space by him. Again, if the Neshama was never put into Golos, so the only way the Golos could have any impact is if the goof starts taking up some room. But if by the Yid, the goof and the gashmi is completely not toifus mokim, completely doesn't take up any independent space for itself. As we said, for the Yid, the chulin, anything mundane is lush and gnai is a complete disgrace. Why? Because the neshama is shining in a revealed way. And the Yid himself, because of that, has no shaykhas to chulin. Then, then, the golos can't have any sort of power over the Yid. Says the Rebbe, this could also be, this could also be the explanation for why it is that the very, very last thing that happens, that leads to Yaakov and his children coming down to Mitzrayim, was this story where the silver goblet is found by the Shvatim. Because again, Golus and Shibud Malchias cannot have a power over a Yid, unless by the Yid there is at least somewhat, some lacking in this area of Chulin being a disgrace. What happens in our story? In our story, the Shvatim do end up having the silver goblet. In other words, yes, it was not intentionally. It was completely d- done, not in any way that they're at fault. But the actual fact that it's found by them is showing that there is some sort of chisaroin in this, in this idea of being completely removed from anything chulin, from anything mundane, from anything simple, of having a shaykhs to the gashmias. Says Rebbe, this is similar to the concept that's known that if we speak about from the perspective of the neshama of a yid, it's not shaykh that a person should do an aveira, even b'shoigig. So the fact that b'shoigig, or some way they have a shaykh to take this goblet, that itself is already showing that in this, on some subtle level, they had some shaykhs to this idea of chulin not being completely disgraced, and therefore they took it, so to speak, even though they didn't actually take it. Says the Rebbe, just like it is regards to yidin, that the whole idea of golos, is only bechitzoni, is only as far as the guf is concerned. But Bepnimi is from the neshama. He's always in a state of freedom and gula. So too, it's regards to the general idea of golus itself. We know that the whole purpose of why Hashem sent the Yidin into golus is only for the purpose of aliyah, of ascent, and gula that comes as a result of it. And therefore, even the Yerida itself, the descent in Golos, is only Bechitzoinius, is only external. But Bepnimius, the intent of it, is always a matter of Aliyah and Gula. This, in fact, is the inner explanation also of the famous Maimar Chazal, that right after the Churban, the Savior, the Redeemer of the Yidin is born, that means right at the very beginning of the Golos, immediately starts the Gula already. Because really, that is the inner meaning of the whole Golos. And this is really what the Avoid of a Yid is all about. That... Through being poil in his anhaga, through being poil in his conduct, that he should always be feeling the pnimius of what it's really all about, the neshama that's higher than golos. That's the way he reveals the pnimius and the kavana, the inner intent of the golos itself. That is the re- revelation of the gula. The Rebbe is now going to move on, actually, to another whole Rashi in our parsha, and the Rebbe goes on and says. As discussed many times, in Pirush Rashi, there's in Yonim there's wondrous, amazing things from all areas of Torah, also in the areas of Remez and Soid. So this idea that we just spoke about, the Golos and the Geula, we find a Remez for this 
also in the Rashi at the very end of our parsha. So when the brothers are speaking to Yosef, they say, how can we justify ourselves? The words are used as uman nitztadok. Says Rashi that the word nitztadok is from the word tzedek. The issue is over here we have a test in between the tzedek and the dalad kuf. So Rashi goes on to say that we find this, that any word that the beginning of the shayrish of the word is with a tzedek, and if it's coming in the grammar, it's coming to be speaking about in a, word, in a way of mispoil or nispoil, in that particular tense, so then, usually in many other shayrashim, it would be a tough that would be describing it. The his, mispoil or nispoil. But for words, again, that start with a tzaddik, so it's a test being used instead of a tough. And furthermore, it's usually that tough is put before the word. In this case, it's not put before the first letter of the Yesoid of the Shoresh, rather it's put in between the words. Like again, in our case, the test is coming after the tzaddik. Rashi goes on to bring a number of examples. And then Rashi says that we have another situation. We have a word that starts, a shayrish again, that starts with a samach or a shin. Again, if it's going to be in the way of mispoil. So then, it doesn't have a tough, a test, sorry, it has a tough, but again, the tough is going to come between those letters of the shayrish. And Rashi gives examples, first, for words that start with a samach, with the shayrashim of samach veiz lamed, or samachof lamed. Then he goes on, with examples for words that start the shayrish start with a shin, like like shin mem reish, or shoyleil. And then Rashi gives one more example going back to the samach. Mistoyleil ba'ami. These are going to be important words for the continuation of our sicha. This is referring to when Moshe Rabbeinu on behalf of Hashem is saying to Paroi that you are still mistoyleil ba'ami, you're still treading on my people. So Rashi says that the word mistoyleil is from the Shoresh of Derech Loi Silula, which means an untrodden path. Says the Rebbe, we need to understand. Number one, according to the order of Rashi, he's first bringing examples for Samach, then he brings examples for the Shin, so then this last example of Mistoilil, which is something that starts with a Samach, should have been together with the other words that are with Samach, and it should have been before the examples that start with a Shin. Then the Rebbe focuses on the example Rashi actually says. Rashi says that the word mistoilil, which is again a posse that appears later, it's in Pasha's Vo'era. So Rashi says it's in the Shoyrish of Derech Loi Selula. But when we look in the actual posse of Oitcha Mistoilil, in its place in Pasha's Vo'era, there Rashi says something else. The word mistoilil is from the word Mesila. So here he says from the word salula, mederach loy salula, and there he says it's in a similar expression to the word mesila, which mesila means a highway. And finally says the Rebbe, why is it that Rashi over here adds the words? He says it's from the words derech loy salula, the words derech loy seem, seem to be unnecessary. Why doesn't he just say bekitzer? That it's from the word salula. Again, let's compare it to Pasha's Vaera, where there Rashi just gives one word. He says it's from the word mesila. So the Rebbe explains this, in Rashi. And the Rebbe says, the difference between our Parsha and Parsha's Vaira is, in Parsha's Vaira, Miketz, as mentioned before, is speaking about the very, very last things that are happening, which are about to begin the Golos Mitzrayim. What's going to lead to Yaakov coming down to Mitzrayim. 
On the other hand, in Parshas Va'era, is actually speaking about the beginning of Geula. It's speaking about the first Makos that Hashem is bringing down on Mitzrayim. Is the beginning of Geula, especially based on what the Razal say, that already on Rosh Hashanah, the Yidin stopped working, so this is a half a year before Pesach. So the Yidin are stopping to work already. In a certain sense, the Geula is starting already. So says the Rebbe, now we can understand why in Parshas Va'era, which is the beginning of Geula, there Rashi says that the word Mestoilel is from the word Mesila, again a highway. Meaning to say, even though the word is being used in the context, that Paroi is not sending the Yidin out, Mestoilel Bami, you're treading on my people. Levilti Yilshalchem, not sending them out. But that's only because he himself doesn't realize that it's already the beginning of Geula. But really, Rashi is telling us, what's Mestoilel mean? It's in the word Mesila, it's already a highway. In other words, it's a paved path already to the Geula. Because the actual fact that Oitcham is Toilul Bami, the actual fact that Pari is still not allowing the Eden to go, is as the Pasuk says, only so that I could show my power, Hashem says, and that you'll be telling over my name in the whole land. And Lamara voice Moiv sign that I could increase my miracles in Mitzrayim. So really it's all part of Geula. That's in Pasha's Va'era. But going back to our Pasha, where the idea over here is being is really about the beginning of Golos. So here, Mr. Lobami Rashi says something else. It's in the words, Derech Loisulula. It's an untrodden path. In other words, it seems like it's a real Golos. And nevertheless, since both Pirushim and Rashi, whether in our parsha Derech Loisulula, or over there where he says Mesila, are both about the same word. Rashi is translating the same word, Mestoilil. He's just bringing it in our parsha. Says the Rebbe, this tells us that really they really are connected. Meaning to say that even that even the derech loisalula, the untrodden path, the way it seems in our parsha, is really a derech. It's really a path. It's really a highway that is leading to the geula. It's only that in the very at that point in the beginning of the galus, it's still as Rashi says, it's a derech loisalula. It's an untrodden path because bechitzoinius. It seems like it's a real galus. But Bepinimius, it really is an Indian of Derech Loisalula, meaning to say that the goal, this very Derech Loisalula, what is it Bepinimius? This untrodden path is really a Mesila, it's really a highway. The original Posik says, Mesila Lashar Amway, this is the highway which the Yidin are going to the Gula. It's a Mesila, it's a road to the Gula. Because the Kavana and the Pnimius of Golos Mitzrayim is really Yetzias Mitzrayim in Matan Torah. And this is why Rashi brings the example of Mestoilil Ba'ami, which says by the Makis, which again is the beginning of Geula. He brings it in our Parsha, where it's speaking about getting ready to go into Golos, beginning of Golos. Because right in the beginning of Golos, the Kavana and the Pnimius is already the Indian of the Geula out of the Golos. The Rebbe now goes back to explain some of the questions we had and how Rashi puts it. Says the Rebbe, now we can understand why Rashi brings this example of Mestoilil at the very end of his Pirush. Because he's coming to hint that the very, very ending, or the, the purpose, the goal of everything being discussed in Parshish Vayeshev Miketz, which is leading to Golas Mitzrayim, is already connected to the Geula. In other words, that that very Geula is inside the Golas Bepinimi. So Rashi brings it at the very, very end to show that this is... In other words, the end of all of these in Yarim of Golos is the whole purpose of Gula. And so too says the Rebbe in regards to this last Golos. That when a Yid senses that the whole purpose of Golos, the whole idea of Golos, it's really Golos is only Bechit but Bepnimius, he's always standing higher than the Golos. 
and is already the inyanim of Asid are already here. That itself brings out the panimius of the Golos from its concealed state to a revealed state that you have the Geulah Hamitis Vashleimah comes immediately through Mashiach Tzidkenu Bekarev Mamash.